Remain standing as we go back to that text and read this morning the text for the message from Colossians chapter 2. I'll pick it up at verse 10 through verse 13. Now hear the word of God. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, How thankful we are that you have condescended to our estate and have truly done the reality of that which is shown us in our baptism, in circumcision, in all of the sacraments. How thankful we are that even today we can eat and we can eat in faith and eat of the realities that are herein symbolized. So, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we might see more clearly Christ in all of his glory. We might see that in him we are complete, lacking nothing, that he is our great and good shepherd. And Lord, as we cast all of our hope and our trust upon him, the one who cares for us, we pray that you would give us a great taste of joy. The joy that comes from the fountain of God from underneath the throne there in heaven. And may we delight in the truth today that sets us free. And we pray your spirit would guide us in all of the specific applications for our individual hearts. And that you would sanctify us in this your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. may be seated. The evangelical world in America is dominantly baptistic. I grew up in that worldview with its particular theology. I'm not using that term Baptistic in a derogatory manner whatsoever, but descriptive of the environment and the worldview of the American evangelical culture. It not only addresses the theology and the practice of believers' baptism and by immersion only, but identifies a hermeneutic way of interpreting Scripture that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament with such sharp discontinuity that in some cases it makes the Old Testament largely irrelevant for us today. We hear catchphrases like, we are a New Testament church, or I'm a New Testament Christian. And from that perspective, hermeneutic, emerges a view of baptism, which we often term believer's baptism. Now, when I was a Baptist studying out these matters and trying to find out exactly what was baptism, I looked everywhere in the New Testament and could not find a hint of how the Scripture defines baptism. Baptism is. I couldn't even find an implicit statement that suggests what baptism is. What is baptism? What does it do? These were questions I had ready answers for, but I could not find or support them from the Scriptures. 
It appeared to me that when baptism first showed up on the first scenes of the New Testament, it was rather assumed what it was. It was not defined, described. And the Scripture never explicitly defined or explained it, it at least with such clarity in that way in the New Testament. And one day I came to this passage, the one that is before us, and it became a key passage in unlocking the answers to those questions. I realized that my search had been narrowed to limit a study from the New Testament Scriptures only, and there seems to be some important context, an entire foundation that I was leaving out. I come to find out that in my study that then proceeded that I really had the gospel, but I didn't have the full part of that. I was missing an entire phrase of the very gospel promise. The key and pivotal principle here in the passage is that baptism and circumcision are actually one and the same in nature. In other words, baptism is equated to circumcision here, identifying the exact same spiritual truths. While they are different in their external rites, they are in essence one and the same in nature. They are, there are some differences, no doubt. In fact, circumcision was a bloody removal of the flesh, and baptism was a non-bloody spiritual act of cleansing. Circumcision was under the Old Testament where the bloody rites were administered and baptism in the New Covenant where Christ fulfilled all those bloody aspects, but what they pointed to, each the same thing. And once I found some very clear teaching on what circumcision was, and the Scripture is very clear, circumcision is this. And then I come to this passage that relates the two, now I was on my way to understanding what was already implied when we come to the New Testament. The two passages that informed me on what is circumcision, circumcision is, was one that we read earlier in Genesis 17, verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision there was clearly defined as a sign of the covenant. Now, the second place that the scripture very explicitly says circumcision is something by way of definition was in the New Testament. And that was in Romans chapter 4 where Paul is explaining justification by faith and he's using Abraham, the Old Testament saint, for the model or the paradigm for us in the New Testament. The spiritual essence is the same. Abraham was saved by the grace of God through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the same way that we are. No different. That is the essence of the covenant. We have more clarity. clarity. We know his name, Jesus But Abraham, as John chapter 8 says, and Jesus says, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. 
And as he saw it, he saw it as the city afar off, not built with human hands, but the thing that he saw was through the eyes of faith, understanding the promises of God, understanding from the very get-go that Genesis 3.15 scarlet thread of the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. See, we can't leave out all of the past revelation when we come to the place and know that by that time, we know that the Redeemer that Abraham trusted would be a man, child, who would grow up to crush the one who led and tempted mankind in a state of fallenness. And in Romans 4, that second passage says, And Abraham received the sign of circumcision. Now we got that part already from Genesis 17. But then it expands on that, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while still uncircumcised. From Genesis 17, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. In Romans 4.11, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. Here, the New Testament expands slightly on the Genesis 17 passage in calling it a seal of righteousness of the faith. So circumcision was a sign and a seal of that covenant relationship that God had established with Abraham and with his seed. Now that aspect, that second part of the phrase, is the part I had always left out. As I was hearing the gospel, the gospel promised to me is, Marion, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and confess Him with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. That's wonderful. That's great. Yes, I want to do that. Is that all? Oh, well, there's that other part. What other part? Well, the part about your children, but no, tell me about that part. That's the part I've been missing. Because God says, I will be a God to you and your children, and you and your children will be my people. Well, I didn't, I didn't think about that part. I just thought I could be your person and you would be my God. You mean this includes my children? There's a promise for them directly and specifically too that is for me to claim by faith and for them to grow up believing in faith too? Yes. Wow. Why didn't I hear this before? Because you left the Old Testament out. So circumcision was a sign and a seal of the covenant relationship God had established with Abraham and his seed, a relationship that was characterized by a promise God gave to Abraham, and it was also characterized of the faith in believing those promises. And those promises included Abraham's children, and so the promise was available to them also. That if they come to believe those promises, the blessing promised to Abraham would also be theirs. And no blessings are for anybody that's not going to believe those promises. That was the problem that the Jews had when they grew up, saying, oh, we are the father, or we're the sons of Abraham, because we come from the loins of Abraham. And Jesus said, you're not believing the same promises that Abraham's believing 
You're just assuming or presuming upon your circumcision, but you're not getting the reality behind it. That's what Colossians is pointing us to. It was true of circumcision in the Old Testament. It's true of baptism today. They're both essentially the same signification. So when I came to this passage in Colossians, I saw that circumcision and baptism were essentially being employed in the exact same manner. I realized what was going on with two external rites, but identifying the same spiritual truth, and that helped me to understand what baptism was. Baptism, like circumcision, is a sign of the covenant. It is a seal of the righteousness of faith. And that's what the passage is speaking about. In verse 11, it says, it speaks about the circumcision of Christ, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And what he's speaking of here, using the term of the right circumcision, the right, R-I-T-E, this external religious right. And what he's referring to there is the reality to which that physical circumcision pointed. When the word first showed up in Scripture, it was in Genesis 17, and it was a physical right, but it was never meant to merely just be that apart from a reality to which it symbolized. And so when you find those words showing up again in Scripture, it is always with the emphasis of the reality behind that the right is pointing to. So yes, in, in Colossians 2.11, we have the, the reality of circumcision, the true circumcision of the heart, not made with human hands, but that which Christ has done in removing the old body of sinful flesh. <clears throat> the physical circumcision always pointed to the finished work of Christ, even when that work was still future and not yet completed. But verse 12 flows right into baptism where it says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you were risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, which raised him from the dead. Again, baptism here is that baptism identifying with the reality behind the physical rite. It is the spiritual truth behind the physical baptism and that which physical baptism points to. And it too, like circumcision, is a baptism without hands. It identifies with that union with Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection. And that union is that which removed the foreskin of our hearts and truly circumcised us. The body of sin has now been removed in the circumcision of Christ. And now with his resurrected body, we are united into that body. And we have a new body cleansed in that circumcision, washed in the waters of baptism, that of the reality to which it points. All done without human hands. And it is that which Christ has done for us in the gospel. 
As we are in union with Jesus Christ, we have the cleansing, we have the removal, we have life, we have resurrected life, we have new bodies, we are a new creature altogether. And the true cleansing, the washing of our sins, symbolized in that water, is the true removal of the flesh symbolized in baptism or in circumcision. So you have two external rites, and they can, in one sense, be used interchangeably because they do the same thing, they point to the same thing, and they act in the same manner. In and of themselves, they do nothing, but they are gloriously linked to the reality to which they point. So that in faith, if we look to that, then indeed they are that which God blesses us in as a means of grace. Circumcision, identifying the promise in Christ before his coming, and baptism, the other in his fulfillment. A check that is tied to a bank account. Most of you have checkbooks and things called checks. A check is just a symbol. It's a symbol. It's a piece of paper. In of itself, it doesn't mean a thing. But it's got a bank account number on it. It's assigned to a particular person. And then if you were to take it and sign it and write it all out, then there's something behind it that then avails benefits. If I were given a very large check to me by one of the wealthiest men in America, that check would have a lot of value if his signature was on it. But it's just a piece of paper. It's just a symbol. In and of itself, that simple little piece of paper has no value in itself. But it does have to with the reality to which it points, to that which is identified with. If I were to put my check in my wallet and carry it around with me, I could take it out and show you, hey, look at this, i got a billion dollars from Bill Gates. Signature's right there. Put it back in my wallet. I could actually go through life that whole way, defaulting on all of my bills, not being able to pay my way, because I have not exercised exactly the reality to which that check is employed. It has no value in and of itself, but it points to something that does. It is only when I cash it or deposit it in my account that I receive its benefits. And it's not because of the symbol, but it's because what is identified and associated behind it. Circumcision is like a check. It's a symbol of a reality that lies elsewhere. The check has a signature on it, which then identifies the owner of the account. That's analogous to that that sealing. The sealing aspect is like as a king gives his great decree, and he rolls it up, and he waxes and puts a signet ring on it. He seals it, saying, that is authentically from the king. That is his ownership, his property, and when it is open and read by his herald, you know that this is the word from the king. And baptism and circumcision is that kind of seal. It's got the signature of God on it. You know that the value of the bank account is worthy, and now he's put his signature on it, And we have to deposit it by laying hold of the reality that lies behind it. Well, today, checks are on their way out. 
We now have plastic. We have debit cards. It's a different external means, but they do the same thing. It's identifying the same money with the same account, with everything else included, and now I take my debit card and it acts just like a check. When I use it, see? And that's the idea of what's going on here. Circumcision is a rite of the Old Testament that is identifying this great value that we have in Christ and all of the benefits of what He has done in His death, burial, and resurrection and removing the body of the sin of the flesh. And baptism is like the the debit. Now it's changed in the external form, but identifying exactly the same thing. And then in verse 13, it then comes back and pulls it all together when it says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now he's identifying the old life apart from Christ with the check, if you will, the circumcision in some form, but it's the uncircumcision. And he's symbolizing the life over here with that which baptism has gained. So now he takes both symbols and puts them together because the first part of the verse says, and you who are dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means you were dead in your sins when you were uncircumcised. Not physically, but the reality behind what it symbolizes. When you were unregenerate, when you were apart from Christ, when you were still in your sins the uncircumcision of your flesh. That means you are dead in your sins. That's still saying the same thing as if you were filthy and dirty in your unbaptized state. That you have not received by faith the very cleansing of which your baptism identifies. Both are labels of the external right to show forth the truth to which they point. The second part of that verse says, hath he quickened together now with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So while you were in the state of your uncircumcised flesh, now you have been quickened together with Christ. And that word quickened is being made together alive with him. And therein goes back to the previous verse that illustrates our baptism in being unified with Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection having been quickened with him and that which it symbolizes. That's the same thing as saying, having the foreskin of your heart removed and your sins forgiven in the circumcision of Christ made without hands. In that, you were quickened. In that, you were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Well, another change in my thinking came about from this very text When I began seeking this text in more details, I I came to see that the action words here are in the passive voice. A passive voice means that the action of the verb is working on me. I am not the subject doing the action of the verb. You were circumcised. You were baptized. These are passive actions. Who was doing this circumcision upon me? Who was doing the baptism upon me? Well, it's God in Christ Jesus. 
The point is this, that both circumcision and baptism are not signs of our consecration to God, but it is God's consecration of us to Him. It's exactly the opposite of the way I'd been thinking about it. It's not something I'm doing. It is by the grace of God what He has done for me, and He's placed this in my account. He's taken me and set me apart from the world. He has set me unto Himself. And that is why the sacramental rite to this day is done upon the recipient by another. There is an active or a passive aspect to where the recipient of baptism is passive. Now, in the Lord's Supper, we're energized, right? In the actions of taking and eating and drinking. But in baptism, the action is done upon us while we are in a very passive state of action. Baptism, then, is not something I am doing to show my faithfulness to God. It is something God has done to set me apart to himself and show me his faithfulness to his covenant promises. That if I believe the very emblem that I now bear, then I will have eternal life. And there's promises for my children in that as well. If I believe the very promises identified with my baptism, all the blessings are mine to receive. But I shouldn't go around carrying the check in my wallet, showing the check to my friends, counting it worthy in of itself. No, I need to go cash that check. Baptism, like circumcision, is also the seal of the righteousness which comes by faith. Now, this is why baptism is applicable not only for new converts in Christ, but also for their children, because that's the other part I was missing. This is for you and your children. Abraham was a new convert. He was circumcised while he believed, or after he believed. He had a believer's circumcision. He was the first line of the covenant of his household, but then after that, the same sign was to be given to all of his children, even infants, so that they might come up believing the same promises he has, and it would be a means of grace to them, identified to the reality of the symbol that they bore in their very flesh. The promise of God was not individualistic, but it included the household. And aren't you, parents, the same with John, the Apostle John, who says, there is no greater joy that I might know that my children are walking in the truth. Well, there's a promise here. But we need to stand on the promise and believe it. And as we believe the promise, we need to teach it to our children that they may be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not raised up into doubt and believing themselves or doubting themselves. No, 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 you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because the value of your faith is only in its object. Christ. Well, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't care how much you have. Is it in Christ? That's the value, not how much, not how little. The value of your faith is the object. The eternal familial blessings will come to each member of that household as they claim the very thing by faith. Our baptism is like circumcision in the Old Testament. It's always calling us to believe the gospel. 
It is always pointing us to Christ, the reality behind the symbol. It is always bidding us to trust the promises given to us in the Word by God. Even the promises that He's given us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these and his, his righteousness and all these other things will be. Every promise in the word of God is available to you, but you have to believe them for them, for you to receive the benefits. See? Our baptism is always calling us to believe the gospel. It's always pointing us to Christ. It is always bidding us to trust the promise, and it's always holding out the blessings for those who believe. So may we today, every one of us who've been baptized, take hold of our baptisms as we cling to Christ, as we trust in his promises for eternal life and receiving all of the eternal blessings and benefits he came to give. Because you are complete in him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, how thankful we are for your blessings upon us for taking us out of the world, for putting your sign and your seal upon us. We thank you for this grace that even when we were not seeking you, you sought us. We are thankful that you save us with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would open our eyes more to the glory of grace today. And we pray that you would bless us and our children with eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.